Did you know stores offering upsells increase their average order value by 10 to 30% on average? Every Shopify store with more than one product should have an upsell strategy. My go-to app for running those upsells is Bold Upsell. It is the number one rated and most review upsell app on Shopify. I use it for my clients because it supports true upsells. Did you know there's a difference? A true upsell is where the upsell offer replaces the item being added to cart. For example, you're buying a one pound bag of coffee, the store offers you a two pound bag for just $10 more. You accept it, the two pound bag replaces the one pound bag in your cart. That's an upsell. A cross sell is like an accessory. It gets added to the cart in addition. So if I offered you a coffee mug to go with your coffee beans, that's a cross sell. This matters because a true upsell typically converts 20 times better than a cross sell. Now it gets better here. Bold upsell also supports funnel offers. So let's say a customer says no to that two pound coffee bag. Bold can then offer them a different upsell like a one and a half pound bag. Maybe they say yes to that. So then we can offer them the coffee mug as well. So you'd see where this can radically increase your average order value. If you're not sure which products to upsell though, I have a solution. When you install BoldBrain for free, it works with Upsell to create the highest converting upsells ever through machine learning. It's upselling on autopilot. We talked about it back in episode 151. Now, as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their upsell app free for 60 days. Oh my gosh, 60 days. To get this special offer, go to kurtelster.com bold, and you'll be able to install it from there. That's kurtelster.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them, they are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. So today on the Unofficial Shopify podcast, I'm joined by Colby Kane, the owner and founder of Aviator. He's going to tell us how he survives crises, two major crises, the recession of 2008, the current pandemic, and we're even going to drag his predictions for 2021 out of him. So, Mr. Colby Kane, you have done a lot. Uh, I can hear a, a little bit of background noise in your recording because you are in like the coolest industrial LA fashion space. Um, but tell me what, let's start at the top. What the heck is Aviator? So Aviator, um, is a travel lifestyle brand. Um, our tagline has always been style and function for the travel lifestyle. Um, I've since in so the you had a, a travel focused brand in 2020, huh? 
Yeah, unfortunately, but we are surviving. Okay, and well, let's go to the beginning. How how did you get involved with this? So um, I started manufacturing, or I started the brand Aviator um, actually a long time ago. Um, it, it was 2005, and I actually started a brand, and I call and I trademarked Aviator. And the idea then was to create um, a lifestyle brand like Ralph Lauren, like Polo. And I called it Aviator because I was like, oh, I want to appeal to the jet setters of the world. But really, it was kind of funny because all, all we were making was T-shirts and selling them wholesale to some of the high-end boutiques. But Oh, interesting. Yeah. At that time, though, there was a, there was a market in all the major cities, you know, LA, Chicago, New York, Miami, that where a $60 t-shirt was more than acceptable. It was like sought after. So we tried to make the ultimate t-shirt back then. And that turned into a full collection over the years from 2005 through 2008. Um, but the business was just making, it's basically a fashion brand. And we, it was an American heritage aesthetic fashion brand. So it was very vintage inspired. And we did do jeans, we did hoodies and t-shirts, but it was all just, you know, run-of-the-mill basic kind of stuff. There was nothing, no, no function to it at all. Um, but I learned over those years that um, through hustling and selling to these stores, that, that that model of designing a collection, going to a trade show in Las Vegas and New York, and selling your wares to all these stores around the country and around the world was kind of like a, a dying business. It just didn't, I, I never really sat well with me. Um, so I was always trying to figure out and learn how to get out of that. But I was so deep in that I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. Even after the recession in 2008, 2009, I still did it for a couple more years, three more years, where I wasn't making much money. The brand was, was stopped growing because for the first four years, we were growing into all these new boutiques and stores, and it was fine. wasn't making a lot of money at it, but I was, I was enjoying what I was doing. Um, sort of, <laughs> I, I say, but were you financially independent? Like, did it pay the bills? Yes, but like, but it wasn't easy. It was so stressful, and it was a full-on grind, um, and it was a lot, just a lot of hustling. But it was paying the bills, and then from 2008 to 2012, that time period was like, you know, the recession hit. Stores stopped paying their. Um, paying for their invoices. Um, usually when you sell, you go to a trade show, imagine this, that whole business was set on, you sell your clothing, you get a PO from a bunch of stores, you put all those POs together, you go into production for those products, and then you ship them in a couple months. And then I send those stores, those, the invoice for what they ordered. Typically it was net 30, which means they'll pay you 30 days after they receive the goods. And that I mean, that net 30 became unheard of. It ended up being net 60, net 90, net 120. Stores going, you know, you have to hound them and send like a hitman to go get your money. Like it wasn't fun. It was like, it was brutal trying to get your money back. So that's when the business really turned for me. And it was really, it was sour. Um, and then it became harder and harder to, to um, be financially independent. It was not easy. Um, but it was that time in 2012 when things started changing and I heard of, I met a guy at a trade show and he was talking about Kickstarter and he launched his brand on Kickstarter and now he was, he was trying to go from Kickstarter to selling to stores. And I was kind of like, well, why is he trying to sell the stores? They don't, there's no money in this. You, yeah, the grass is always greener, I suppose. Yeah. And then, 
but I took what I learned from him and I, I went back to LA and, and I watched his Kickstarter video. And then I watched, I just started researching all these projects on Kickstarter. And I was like, wow. So in 2012, my mind was totally blown on what was going on. So were there any that stood out to you where you're like, Oh man, this is like, this, there was one that made it click where you're like, if they could do it, I could do it. Yeah. There, I mean, there was a bunch, there was a bunch. I saw all these people making wallets and, and the, there was all kinds of products. I ended up backing a bunch of things like the coolest cooler. That was kind of famous. Is everyone, do you, the remember, cooler. you remember that one? Yeah. yeah. I remember, and then the, it was like at the time it was a record setter. It yeah. was just like one after another record setting Kickstarters back yeah. then. And like I, the fidget cube. I, I have one. My I have one. It. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a fidget cube and I did not have my coolest cooler. Never received it. Right. They had production issues. Yes. But that's just the, that's the risk you take when you back a project, I suppose. So I just figured I, I could do this. So then I had an idea. I canceled all my POs from the trade show in Vegas. And I just decided like that day, I wasn't going to sell to stores anymore. And I just decided I was going to pivot into the direct to consumer model. So the idea was then to change my American heritage brand into a travel lifestyle brand because um, I just didn't see the value in making fashion products anymore. I saw a value in making functional products. Aha. Okay. So here's the, I, that's where the change happens. It goes from like, instead of cool, it's, it's functional and it's shifting more toward, well, how would you describe it? Well, you sell, I, is this, are I, these the products you sell now? Yeah. Yeah. And I would still say it's cool. <laughs> I love it. No, yeah, I've, I've got, but, but, I have, I have several, I've got the full aviator lineup. Um, and you know, I was telling you, uh, in the, the pre-interview, I literally got rid of all my other pants. I have just three pairs of aviator pants. That's all I wear. Love that. Thank you. Yeah. I know you very quickly have become one of our better customers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So proud to be. Yeah. So no, so yeah. So I pivoted out of fashion because I, and it was that time too, I, I realized other brands like Lululemon or something like that, where well, it was actually Lululemon to be specific. I went in to get my wife some um, black yoga pants. And I noticed when I walked in that store, there was nothing on sale. And I was like, of course, because it's functional, I guess. I guess you're, I'm here getting my wife black yoga pants because of the function and she needs them. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pay full price. So I felt like I, a light went off where I was like, wow. So if I made my products that had function, I don't have to discount them. Yeah. They're not like, they're not seasonal or trendy. Exactly. It's, you're taking out that the, the expiration date that fashion apparel has. Exactly. So like I, so, and in my business, I've learned from a couple mentors, um, what kills fashion brands, for instance, is having too much inventory and you can't sell it because you go ahead and you make all these products. And then a year from now it's out of fashion. Right. So Jeez. can you imagine sitting on all this inventory that's out of fashion? What are you going to do with it? You know, you, you ship it off to those. Um, yeah. What do you do with it? Yeah. There's actually people here in LA that will come get it. And then I don't know what they do with it. I think what they do with it is they send it to, you know, like if, um, if the Chicago Cubs, they thought they were going to win the world series and they don't, but they made all these. But they world, had to print all the yeah, apparel anyway. Yeah, so they ship it off internationally or something and sell it there. I'm not really sure what happens to it. But people give you cents on the dollar for it. It's distressed inventory. You're not getting a lot for it. No, no. So, um, so I just figured, well, if I, if I was making products that were um, functional and still stylish and cool, but they had the function, people would come and buy them for the function and because they look cool. 
So if I was sitting on a bunch of inventory of that, it'll, it will eventually, I'll sell through it. So, all right, let's go back. We're timeline wise. You had a Shopify store in 2012. You're starting to launch products on Kickstarter and you had, and you canceled, you just went all in on it. You had purchase orders from wholesale business. You said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going direct to consumer. What's that first Kickstarter look like? So, great question. So uh, the first Kickstarter and how I transitioned was I said, I'm going to launch a single product on Kickstarter for this new travel lifestyle brand called Aviator. And it was going to be the red eye hoodie, which was basically one of the hoodies I already had made that was just more of a fashion hoodie. But then I added some little bells and whistles to it to make it more functional. And I, and I called it the red eye hoodie because it, it had a big oversized hood that you could pull over your face, which was a sleeper hood, right? Turn into a mask. It also had these um, three-way cuffs, what I call, I call it three-way cuff. And it basically has the thumb hole that most, you know, a performance apparel might have. But then it also has this fold-over cuff, which I kind of stole that idea from. I remember when we had our first son, you have, you have kids, so you, re- you remember this, but a, a baby's onesie had these cuffs on them so that they wouldn't scratch themselves. Yes, and babies it, claw themselves. Yes. <laughs> so We've never, never had a... a- uh, experience with a baby, you don't realize that babies are just constantly clawing at their own faces. Yes. So they made these what they made these onesies with these little cuffs that turned into mittens. So I figured I'm going to put those on for adults, and that was a differentiator along with the hood, and then a little to stop you from clawing at your face. Yeah, <laughs> you're going nuts when you're traveling through the airport. Um, but and then I put it on Kickstarter. You know, I did the video, did everything on a shoestring budget. Um, and I had an audience of friends and family, and I've collected some emails from my Shopify store. And when I hit send on the, I hit launch on the Kickstarter, and then it was no more than 30 seconds, someone, someone bought a, a hoodie or backed the project. And you know, I, was thinking, I was assuming it was my mom, but it wasn't. It was some, some flight attendant in like Tampa who said that. Ooh, yeah, like, validation. Yeah, it was just a flight attendant. Just, I, so no connection to me. That was the validation. I was like, I thought my mom was going to be the first backer. But um, this woman wasn't, and she wrote a comment right on the project page. She's like, I've been looking for something like this my whole career. And I was like, oh, wow. So, and then. Yeah, that's quite, quite the endorsement. Yeah. So um, it was pretty, it was, it was a really unique experience to have that validation. And then it was funded within a, a few days. And then it went on to raise um, about 130,000 in the month. And then my. What were you shooting for? I sh- the goal was 20,000. And then my other goal, though, with doing Kickstarter was I. I knew I didn't want to launch a brand on Kickstarter, but what I want to do is launch products for my brand. And I learned that by when I was studying Kickstarter, I saw that there was people doing multiple projects. Um, and that's, I thought that was like the best way to go because I could then curate whatever products I launch on Kickstarter. If they get funded and people really like them, I could put them over to the Shopify store. If they didn't get funded and people didn't like them, then I knew that I'm not going to go into production on a product like that. So I ended up doing, um, I think, eight or nine Kickstarters over a three-year period, and we raised about 500000 in sales. So, was, I mean, pretty successful. And at the same time, I have the Shopify store running. Um, and then the idea was to turn all those Kickstarter backers over those years into Aviator customers. When was your last Kickstarter? My last Kickstarter was uh, probably four years ago. Why'd you stop? Because, well, I stopped mostly because I, I want to just, 
as a Shopify merchant, I really want to drive all my traffic to my aviousa.com store. I don't really want to drive people to Kickstarter and then have to transition them over anymore. Um, what is that when you say transition them over? Like clearly Kickstarter helped grow that business and helped build that business to the point where you were then independent of Kickstarter. What's that transition look like? Like uh, I've talked to a few people in the last several weeks that either have an active Kickstarter or about to start a Kickstarter. What would you tell them for like, okay, your Kickstarter's funded successfully. Now how do you get those people to your Shopify store? How do you get them to become Shopify customers? Well, the, the thing with Kickstarter is you are collecting all the um, customer data, right? So I'm getting all these customers. I have their email. I have their shipping address. So I can market to them. Um, we could send them, like when I first launched on Kickstarter or when I first wanted to um, introduce those Kickstarter backers to our website, if they hadn't already been there, we would send an, you know, an update through Kickstarter. I'd send them a message or... Um, or a project update that says, hey, um, we have been out of stock of these hoodies, but now we just took um, new inventory of the Red Eye hoodie on aviausa.com. You can make your purchase there. So th that was one way to transition people over. Um, but you have all that data, and then you're able to just implement it into your Shopify store. Um, that's, I mean, that, that's the value in it. Now, and I do think that if someone was starting a Kickstarter now, I would advise them to use it you know, use Kickstarter as an extended arm of your Shopify store. They have to go hand in hand in a way, um, especially if you're a new business. Actually, How so? Well, I just think that like, because uh, the goal is, you know, Kickstarter is just a temporary um, platform for you. You, you're, you know, I don't think anyone, uh, an entrepreneur or a Shopify store owner, their goal shouldn't just to always be on Kickstarter. You want people to be on your website. Right. So you have, so if you're going to use Kickstarter is, is just, it's like using, it's a marketing arm, right? You could use it. You're getting Kickstarter eyeballs. You're getting new people, people that are interested in startups. And so if they're, if they're by, if they're backing your project there, your goal should definitely be to transition them over. The once I've got them transitioned to my site, cause you said you haven't done a Kickstarter in, in four years. How do I, in a, in apparel where I'm selling like not, I'm no longer selling fashion. I am selling a durable good. How do I get, or how do you, uh, get recurring customers? How do you keep Kurt Elster coming back and buying? <laughs> well, I get Kurt Elster in a pair of jeans that he loves. Um, I get, yeah, I, get, I get him. I cheated. Yeah. I get him to take a, a chance on, on a brand. And then if we give him a good customer experience and we give him a product that he, that he's happy with, then we're going to market the hoodie to him or the polo to him or a t-shirt to him. Um, or the same, the same thing I already love in different colors. Exactly. If the camo jeans came out. I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I need those. Exactly. I need it. Yes. Yes. That, and that's how we keep, that's how we continue to market. You always have to develop new products or new colorways and um, new ideas. Um, one of the other things, I mean, we make, we make our products here in the States. So like, it's easy for us to, you know, do a, a, a small run to test a product. So like, oh, like those red eye hoodies, they were made down the street from our office. So um, that we ended up going into a pretty big production. But if I want to try a new hoodie or a new pair of jeans, we would just do a, a small run, um, which, you know, a small run of, of jeans could just be a few hundred pairs, you know, to hit the factory minimum. And then just see how they sell. 
And if it sells, then then we'll go ramp things up. Hold on, an, an offer here has arrived from our newest sponsor. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15%? Well, you could stage a PR stunt where you launch an employee into space, or you could just use Zipify one-click upsell. Created by the owner of a $100 million e-commerce store and trusted by over 8,100 Shopify merchants, one-click upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross-sells. So you could make a traditional and effective pre-purchase upsell right from the shopping cart or make post-purchase upsells immediately after a customer completes their order. And with mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions and built-in split testing for maximizing your results, it's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $139 million in sales. And it only takes a few minutes to install it launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. So to start your free 30-day trial, go to Zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash Kurt, K-U-R-T. And once you're there, to get an unadvertised gift, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. And back to the show. So uh, about a year ago, I don't know if you watch the news, but there's a, a pandemic that caused a travel lockdown entirely. You have a travel positioned brand. Take me back to last March. What did that look like? So I could tell you exactly what it looked like. Um, like most Shopify store owners, you know, you have the app on your phone. During the winter months, I spend most of my time in Mammoth, California, because um, my kids are on the ski and snowboard teams. And I'm an avid snowboarder. So we're up in Mammoth a lot. And then I remember... Um, it was March 13th. We were um, in Mammoth. The lockdown came. And I remember, uh-oh, that's not going to be good for my business. And then our sales since launching Aviator have been that classic hockey stick going up. And it's just been, I mean, I, I feel fortunate and lucky that like we've just been hitting all the right chords and like we haven't had any hiccups. And then March 13th, our, our sales just plummeted. Um, and I was looking on my app constantly for a mammoth, like what is going on? Like, did, well, of course, no one's going to buy travel jeans. No one's going anywhere. No one's going to buy a travel hoodie. No one's going anywhere. And our sales just came to a halt and it was, it was grim. Um, what did it, I remember to like the uncertainty and the anxiety and the panic. I, you know, the thing I, that I remember most is waking up for having like in your the moment where you're coming out of sleep and then like 30 seconds later you remember oh shit this again like we're still <laughs> in this pandemic and we still don't know what's going to happen yeah and i like that really was what was so horrifying about it um at least like early on in march yeah and it, how did how did you feel well i felt like i i just wasn't sure what what we were going to do i mean our sales when i say they came to a stop it's you know they they dropped immediately in one day our sales went from going hockey stick up to down 80 percent and it was like that for the for the rest of the month where we were you know i don't know 80 percent off roughly on our sales and i was up in mammoth for those two weeks just everybody was stressed out and everybody was wondering what was going to come of this no one really knew anything and I just remember doing a lot of kind of soul searching up in Mammoth, like for two weeks, what am I going to do? I was, I was doing some backcountry snowboarding with a friend and just 
shooting some ideas around. And then I ended up calling um, one of my factory owners because I, I was like, you know, there was a time where over the, over the last few years, I travel a lot. I go to Asia a lot. And I started thinking like, well, people are, and people were talking about masks at this time, right? So, and I remember as a travel brand, I always thought maybe a mask would be an accessory to my brands because if you go to Asia, I mean, they've been wearing masks for as long as I can. Almost 20 years. Yeah, as long as I, my first trip to Asia, they were already wearing, you know, people were already walking around cities and airports wearing them. So I thought, well, this would be, maybe it's a good travel accessory. And then there's all this thing about um, getting masks quickly in the United States for the frontline workers and for all these people in need. And and then, and then in LA, there was, you know, you can go to work if you were an essential business. So that was a big thing. And, and I, so I called Mateo, this guy that owns my denim factory. And I said, Hey, like, what are you guys doing? He goes, Oh, it's, it's really bad. We're, we're not working. We're closed. We're on the lockdown like everybody else. And I said, well, what do you think about becoming an essential, an essential business and making masks? And he was like, could you help me with that? And I was like, yeah, we need to do this. Um, cause it'll get you guys working and we'll be doing serving a need. So basically we just, I, I can't, I drove back to LA and went right down to Mateo's factory, which was amazing. I'll never forget this. I got from Hollywood to downtown LA in about 10 minutes cause there was no one on the road. And that's a r- very rare site in LA. <laughs> get anywhere in LA in 10 minutes. Um, but I went to the factory and we got it basically set up where we were rec- the factory is recognized an essential business. And then we just started pumping out masks um, and we're, do- we're donating them. Um, and then there was a day on the website where I was like, well, how am I going to pay Mateo for making these masks? And cause he's got all these people coming in, they're contractors. How are we going to take care of these people making the masks? Cause right now they're just making them for free. But these everyone, you know, there was this whole idea where people need to make their income and make a living. And I was like, well, maybe I could sell some masks on, on my website. I don't know if my customers would even want them, but I'll, t- I'll just take some of these masks we're making in the factory. I put them on the website. So I, I just put a handful on the website. I say a handful is probably a thousand. And they, and I sent an email out to my mailing list and they were sold out in three minutes. Whoa. Yeah. Which that and so I was like, wow, that was amazing. So what, what ended up, that ended up basically paying for all these employees to just get to the factory, start making masks and pumping them out. And for every mask we're making, we're donating a mask and giving large bulk orders of masks to the hospitals, to grocery stores all around LA, the police department. Um, and that's basically how it all started. And then we started just selling more and more masks on the website, started marketing the masks. And from the, so do you still sell the masks now? We do. We do. We, we sell, we're not as often now. And you know, you have to keep in mind too. It's not like these masks. I, there's a lot of brand. I think every brand by, by the time, I don't know, maybe middle end of April, beginning of May, every local fashion brand in LA, we're making masks. Yeah. Everybody stepped up and just starts producing masks continuously. Totally. It was the wild West. It was like, now all of a sudden, my factory, everybody's factory. There's there's a thousand factories in downtown LA. They're all making masks, and to get masks made became like it was a waiting game. You couldn't even get you couldn't get time on the production line for if you were late to the party. But the truth is, all these brands rather make their regular clothes and products than making masks. There's not a lot of margins in the masks, but you're making enough to like supply 
financial support for people. So it wasn't, it's not a loss there. It's, it's, you're doing a good thing, but I'd much rather get back to selling jeans, hoodies, and t-shirts and having the mask as an accessory an add on or a gift with purchase. Well, all right. So we, we got the masks and the masks start selling, but still not a lot of margin. Not everyone wants to sell it. Were you able to get back to selling your core products? Yeah, there, you know, there's been, it's weird. Like the uncertainty keeps changing, right? Like you, you, you know, the vaccine came out. So there's all this talk. Like, I mean, my wife made all our travel plans for the summer thinking the world's going to open up. I kept telling her as long as it's refundable. <laughs> but, um, so who knows, but, uh, but people, you know, I, I basically, I pivoted my marketing efforts. And so, um, we were style and function for the travel lifestyle. Now it's just style and function for today's lifestyle. And the effort is more about being comfortable. You know, there was that whole talk about looking good, feeling good during your Zoom calls and things like that for people when they were at stay at home. So like, you know, firsthand, our products are comfortable and they're, and they look good. So we, you know, we just started marketing them that way. I agree with you. The, the site seems to be focused around that. However, the hero image on your homepage is two people with uh, carry-on bags, and it says, I only fly in aviator jeans, and the quote is attributed to Condi Nast Traveler. <laughs> yeah, we put that, we did change the hero image for a while, but we went back to our roots right there with the, you know, just, I do think there's going to be a travel boom, and I want to be, and I want to be at the forefront of that. Because I, I think you're, you're betting correctly. I think so. Um, you know, too, I mean, I was thinking about your wife's business. Like, she's going to... It's starting to pick back up. She's going to have a boom. She's going to have a boom like she's never seen before, I would imagine. But, well, based on what's interesting is like now, all of a sudden in January, her organic Google traffic with zero... Like, her traffic is coming back up, and it's now back into hundreds of visitors a day. And literally all of it's organic traffic. Um and it's because like you know, she had this this organic content marketing effort. Whereas like in the first two years of the business, it was like social, social, social. You had to really work to promote it. Um, and now, oh, finally, that organic SEO effort paid off. But yes, I I agree with you. I my my genuine hope and prediction for for twenty twenty one and beyond is that it it's the second coming of the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, I've heard that analogy before, um, and I I agree with it. Um, is hopefully the depression doesn't follow. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't want a, a repeat of the 30s. No. <laughs> Roaring 20 sounds great. But I, so yeah, so on our, our hero image and on our website, we're showing content and images and, and the language kind of speaks to both. Like, but even that travel, that content ass traveler quote was, I only fly Navy or jeans, does imply that, well, damn, these must be really comfortable. <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I, uh, my wife uh, mentions this. I often think about it. Traveling, even when uh, uh, when I was a kid, you still like dressed up a little bit for it. And now, when you get on a plane, like you, everybody's wearing pajamas. Yeah. Well, I don't know now, but in 2019, yes, everybody gets on in like sweatpants, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not um, the golden era of traveling. Was definitely. I mean, yeah, you had people in suits, but smoking cigarettes on a plane. <laughs> Right. There's a lot more room though on a plane too. Yeah, yeah. You're not packed in there like it's sardines. No, so I like our aesthetic has always been, you know, try and look good, feel good, and um, be comfortable. 
Do you have, do you have any other 2021 predictions? No, I just think that 2021 is going to be just, I, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm optimistic that it's just going to be a big fun year because people are ready to go out and celebrate and party and be with friends and family again. And so I, I, I don't know. I just think that th there should be record numbers of traveling and, and hotel bookings and all that stuff. I don't know. Besides that, I mean, do you? It sounds like you're optimistic. I am too. Yeah, I'm hoping it's. Tw I'm hoping it's. It happens in 2021 and not 2022. Yes. Yeah. That is the other thing. Is like when does it kick off? And I. I think things are very dependent on. Really, it's really a vaccine rollout. I think is is what um, is our deciding factor here. Yeah. I remember. By the way, my birthday was March 19th. So and and I was in Mammoth and they were and we had a birthday party at my house with one other family and I got toilet paper, Lysol, <laughs> paper towel. Cause that was the, Oh, the toilet paper shortage. Yeah. And I just, I said, I'm like, everyone just wait and see. Everyone's going to have a COVID birthday. <laughs> right here we are nine, 10 months later. See my birthday's in January. So I'm having my first COVID birthday <laughs> now. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Oh, lucky <laughs> me. You've had a Shopify store since 2012. Let's say you had to delete all but three apps from your Shopify store. Which are the three you're keeping? Definitely Clavio. We had we had switched from we had switched from Mailchimp to Clavio back. Um, probably your recommendation. I think the first time I heard of them was because they were a sponsor on your show or something. But um, we switched to them before the whole fallout between Mailchimp and Shopify happened. So I was glad we were kind of early to that party because they've been a game changer for us. Um, the other one I'm keeping is Postscripts, which um, has been tremendous for SMS. Um, and I do think that that's going to be, we're, we're noticing that that's more um, with our younger customers that it's okay to text message them. You know, they're. That's the mindset shift that people need to hear. It's okay to text message them. Yes. Especially if you have something to offer and you're giving value. Um, and then the third one that I would probably keep is we just started it, but I'm really liking it so far is um, Grow Wave. What's that? I'm not familiar. Yeah, I actually learned about it. Um, I asked the question on the unofficial Shopify Facebook group and um, about- sure that group is great. It's great. You get tremendous value in there because you could ask a question and then other merchants are going to give you great insight. So I asked the question about what are people doing for loyalty programs? And I got everything from S Smile to- stamped and someone mentioned grow wave because they um they integrate well with postscript and with clavio so i was like hmm and that, now i'm learning they do so much more it, it's it's pretty deep but it, they do need their interface is a little um janky and it needs to be needed a little tweaking before making it acceptable needs a little polish yeah but the good news is they've been super easy to work with and responsive so if we say you know, we'll send them a message like this needs to be replaced. This has to be fixed. There's a ton, the, the, um, the grammar is wrong in this and they'll fix it. Correct. They'll fix it right away. So it's so far, so far. I mean, those, those are probably the three that are most important to us. That's a good lineup. I like it. And I, what's interesting is they are all focused on communi customer communication, all three of them. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, communicating with your customers, just kind of everything. Their pains, their wins, their, you know, I mean, you have to listen to them. I like that so much. I'm, I'm putting that as my pull quote in the summary. Communicating with your customers. 
is everything. The um, oh, how about ship shipageddon or whatever that <laughs> shipageddon? Did you what happened? Oh, yeah. And you're in apparel too. Did you get so uh, then you also get hit with returns again? We got yeah, we got hit so bad. Um, so I get, well, first of all, with masks, when we were shipping masks out, that was a huge problem when the, when, when the ship, when the USPS really got backed up because people needed their masks right away. And so someone's ordering a mask and we had, we, we learned later in hindsight that we had bags of, you know, huge, when I say bags, huge, like the USPS comes to our office twice a day to pick up orders. I should also tell you, we do all of our fulfilling from our headquarters. And that's another reason um, of, of like a touch point in, uh, communication with our customers. Like instead of using a 3PL, we just ship everything here because that way we could do the handwritten note. We could process returns. And then we also offer some customization to people's orders that it's better if we just handle it here in-house. And I can get into that later if you'd like. What's the customization? Well, so we only make our jeans in one length. So um, we, you know, some, some customers, some people, potential customers would say, well, I'm a you know, 34 waist, but a 30 inseam. Why don't you offer size 30? Levi's offers a 30, a 32, and a 34 inseam. Why don't you? And well, Levi's makes millions of jeans every month. We make, we make thousands of jeans every month here. And we, so we're doing small batch produ productions. Um, and we can't, we don't have the means to make all those inseams. And I also don't want to carry that inventory. I rather have one length and then have that you get those jeans custom hemmed you can get them custom hemmed by a local tailor or we'll do that prior to shipping but there is a caveat if you elect to have us custom hem your jeans that does make them non-returnable right i actually remember reading this on the website and then i'm like you know what then seems close enough i'm good <laughs> <laughs> well because also like if you're you know you're buying a premium jean it's better to have them hemmed anyway instead of buying completely off the shelf 30 32 34 inseam like you we have customers that tell us they want a 30.5 you know or because that's what they know um and then if you're a repeat customer they all repeat customers ask us to hem their jeans pretty much because they're confident and they've got the right size they know what the product is. Yeah, if i was buying the first pair i wouldn't do it on subsequent pairs then i might because i have the actual jeans i can measure and go all right this is what this is the size I'm looking for. Yeah. So that process takes the 3PL out of the equation for us because we have a tailor in our office that actually hems the jeans on the spot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So uh, what's, the, what's the best piece of marketing or what's the best piece of business advice you've ever been given? So like one, one anecdote, one quote that just rattles around in your head. Well, it's probably that what I mentioned earlier, that inventory is a brand killer. But because yeah, someone told you that you respected them, it clicked and you went, you know, that's what I have to get away from. Yeah. I, that's interesting. Yeah. I have to get away from, um, fashion products that lose value. I only want to make products that hold their value. So that it was all around that. That's the best advice in my business that I, at least that I could think of on the spot. Do you read any, um, or have you read any business books? Um, I have, um, I've read like all Gary Vaynerchuk's books. He's just, Gary v. yeah, Gary V's super entertaining and smart. Um, but I, yeah, I've read Tim, Tim Ferriss's books, uh, but it's more of a lifestyle thing now. Yeah. Uh, any other, is there any one book that comes to mind that you're like, look, this should be on everybody's bookshelf. Well, it's interesting. So, you know what I did? I mean, in my business, it's more business specific, but I read a lot of, um, um, biographies on, 
um, other like clothing designers like Ralph Lauren's book. Uh, I think it's called the genuine article. It's a great read. If um, you're in the apparel business, um, John Varvatos has a great book as well. So does Joseph Abood. There's a bunch, I can rattle them all off, but there's a bunch of fashion related business books. I think that are important to read. Um, but I, uh, truth is I don't, I, you know, I'll, I'm mostly listening to business podcasts more so. Um, I'm, I'm driving a lot. I live in LA. I go up to Mammoth every weekend. It's a four and a half hour drive. So I'm, I'm heavy on the podcasts. All right, plug one. Give me one of you. Uh, like. Besides yours, <laughs> of course, mine's obviously number one naturally. Yeah, let me let me go to the. I'll go to my list right now because. Um, okay, so uh, the social media social media marketing podcast. Right? Are you familiar with that one? No. Oh, with, uh, I'm uh, I'll put it in the list. Michael Stelzner. No, this this one's entirely new to me. Oh, really? I thought it was a. I yeah. thought it was a popular one. Just because I don't know what it is doesn't mean it's not popular. Sure. Let's make that clear right now. Yeah, there's also um, wait, what is this? Wait, hold on. Oh, in conversation by Shopify Plus. That's a new one. Uh, that one's good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, another one is uh, Perpetual Traffic. I've not listened to, but it's been recommended. Okay. To me. Oh, and How I Built This. Oh, of course. That's one of my. You know, that's one of my favorites. Given you know what just happened in 2020 in our, our conversation, what are you most excited about right now? The world opening. <laughs> I think we all are. Yeah, just the world opening and getting back to having fun and seeing friends and family and um, just enjoying life back to how it was, what we're used to. I don't know if it's, I wonder what things will keep. Like, will we shake hands again? Can't I just wear a mask? I'm okay with, you know, the fist bump. I've accepted that, right? Um, I like the fist bump and the elbow bump. Yeah. The, you know, I didn't get a cold for a year. That's a plus. That's a plus. And I do think, I mean, I, yeah, I think that I, my guess is the vaccine will just become, you know, you'll get it with your flu shot every year, hopefully. That's, Yeah. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, and then and then you know you know and if you could just not have to worry about it, um, but yeah, the, and I do think that masks are here to stay, but they'll just be an accessory. I agree. Like the same, what was the same thing we saw in Asia will occur here. Yes, it's not a mandatory thing to wear a mask, but you might wear a mask if your comfort level going into a crowded space just you feel like you re need one to protect yourself. If I am in that that Orlando airport. And if you live in the area, you know what that place is like. I'm wearing a mask for the rest of forever. <laughs> There's no escape. Yeah, that's true. So. Uh, let's see. Do you? Well, where I let's say we you've got this amazing these pants I love. You've got this this hoodie that like my wife is obsessed with. I like mine. She's like loves it. Um, where can I go to get these these fabulous items to prepare me for my my new 2021 travel lifestyle? <laughs> you could go to aviatorusa.com. Wonderful. Uh, Colby. We just, oh, I was just going to say, we just launched our loyalty program, um, which is a big kind of marketing effort that we're doing for repeat customers to um, keep, keep touching them and offering our customers the best value. And I'm hoping that it's, it's, a, it's an add-on to our site that it's, it's effective. I'm not sure yet. We just launched it last week. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll see when the the episode airs, like two weeks from now. We'll see. We'll see if it's still up there. <laughs> oh man, people gotta go check. I hope so because I'm getting rid of all. I got rid of all the discount codes that were plastered. Because during 2020, I mean, because it was COVID, it was almost 
you know, you didn't want to say, oh, here's a COVID discount, but your ba- but all stores were just offering more bigger discounts than they ever have. And we, we certainly did that. We never offered more than 20% off, but we were offering 25% off basically for the whole year until Black Friday, we did 30% off, which is also new territory for us. But we're trying to get away from just offering those discounts because I think it does to some level like devalue the brand a little bit. And I'm trying to elevate the brand and keep it high. So that's why we're doing this new loyalty program. I, I agree with your, your entire analysis there. Like coupons were very much, um, they're, they're a tool. They could be a necessary evil in that like, yeah, you, you can, you can teach your customers to expect them and you devalue the brand because they go, well, the retail price is not actually real. Yeah. You know, it's like walking through Macy's cause there's a, a shortcut through Macy's when I worked at a mall and you very quickly discover stuff's on sale more often than it's not in those types of stores. Yeah. It ends up devaluing the brand where I'm like, yeah, Macy's is kind of no different than like Target at this point. <laughs> um, and I, I have some fun items for Macy's. No, no, no hate no, for Macy's no. there, but all oh, spades. I used spade. to work at Macy's. Oh, really? Yeah, well, in advertising. It's kind of how I got my start in this whole fashion apparel business, but I was an art director at a college. I needed, I, just like everyone graduates college, you, I, I grew up in Long Island, Huntington, New York, and um, I. My dad worked in the city, and, and anyway, when I graduated college, my parents were moving from their house, so I, had to, I couldn't waste any time. I had to go get a job right away, so, um, and I had an in at Macy's in the advertising department, and I was a graphic design major, um, so I went in, took the meeting, and, and I got the job, so I started working in the city right away, so I didn't have to, I was able to move into New York City as opposed to staying, living at home, and my parents moving to a new house. Um, so kind of, it was good. I, I had fond memories working there. I learned a lot. That's good. Wow. I'm glad I brought up Macy's. Yeah, I know. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, I besmirched Macy's. Yeah, it's an important, I guess it was my first real job. What was the worst job you ever had? I think a locker room attendant at a country club. <laughs> that sounds pretty terrible. Yeah, just because you're in the locker room and, you know, yeah. as a kid, I was a kid and like, you know. You're just hanging out, passing out towels? Pretty much. But that was just, I mean, it was a <laughs> summer job. Let's close out on what's what's one thing you wish every Shopify store owner would do? People are listening. Inspire them. That's a lot of pressure. I think every Shopify store merchant should just um, make make great products and communicate a, a great customer experience for their customers. Right? Just offer a great customer experience. Um, honestly, that my the truth is is take down Amazon. <laughs> but like we don't, we could edit that out. I don't need to. No, I like I like where we that went. Well, there, well yeah, but to, I because I I you know you read about this stuff that like Shopify is a real contender on like a different level because I, I listen I think that Shopify is the small business like small business brands and stores that are like the good people in all these towns across America or the world, right? Like small like mom and pop shops that you know, people are passionate about. And I do think that Amazon, which is a necessary evil, right? But they're kind of squashing all, they squashed all the brick and mortar stores. And I just hope that the Shopify merchants are more resilient and can get their voices heard and make a difference in e-com. Is that- you know, that truly, I, I, I have faith that that is internally, that is like Shopify's North Star, is enabling small independent businesses 
in a fight against this 800 pound gorilla that just seems to be eating the world. Yeah. So I just think that all Shopify merchants should be resilient and continue their passion towards their stores. I love it. Let's leave it there. Colby, thank you. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much, Kurt. If you're new to the e-commerce space, you're probably thinking what we all were in the early days. Where the heck do I start? Product photography, discount codes, a logo? Thankfully, there's a really simple answer. Start with your theme. Your Shopify store theme is the foundation of your online store fund. Picking the right theme influences the way your store looks, how it works, and more importantly, how easy it is for visitors to see the value in what you're offering and convert them into paying customers. With close to 10 years of experience building beautiful, high-performing themes, the folks at Out of the Sandbox are experts in knowing what it takes to make your store a success. From the unmatched speed of Turbo to the endless customization of Flex, their themes are designed to look great and, more importantly, help you sell more. Whether you want to upgrade your existing theme or launch a brand new online store, Out of the Sandbox has a theme for you. Visit outofthesandbox.com and use promo code KURT20 for 20% off their best-selling themes and my favorites, Flex and Turbo. That's outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial promo code KURT20 for 20% off Flex and Turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.